Listening to Thinking Biblically About Things That Matter. Uh, my name is Steve Ron. I'm the lead pastor at First Baptist Church in Warsaw, and I appreciate you uh, tuning in and listening as we continue our series on shame. Um, last week, we said that shame is something that is incredibly common. And uh, when we talk about shame, we're, we're using um, what I think is a really good um, biblical, concise description from a Christian counselor that I greatly respect. His name is Ed Welch. And here's his definition or his description of shame. He says, shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you you feel exposed and humiliated. I think think that there are a lot of people who suffer um, shame. I I think that um, some folks suffer it much more than other people do. And um, like we said last time, I, I almost guarantee that shame is a battle for either you or someone you care deeply about. Um, And so, we want to think biblically about it. And what I want to point out today is that shame is very complicated. What I want us to walk away with today is is just that shame is incredibly complicated. Last week, we talked about when shame is appropriate. Um, there, there There are times when we should feel ashamed. Um, we should feel ashamed before God. Um, there is, um, there, there are times when shame is very appropriate. We talked about that last week. Um, if you missed that um, lesson, I encourage you to to, uh, to take a listen to it um, because it's important to understand that sometimes shame is very appropriate. But today we're going to talk about the fact that oftentimes it's inappropriate. There are there are times when it's appropriate. There are times when it's inappropriate, when it's misplaced. There, we, there are times we should not feel shame, and we do. And so what, what we want to see today is, when is shame misplaced? When is it inappropriate? And the Bible gives us two really big categories for this. Um, there are two ways that we feel shame and we shouldn't. Okay, these, these two categories I'm going to give today are, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that happens in each of these. There's a lot of variance in these in both of these categories. But these are just the two big broad buckets that we have to understand that, um, that this is how shame hits us when really it shouldn't. We feel ashamed and we shouldn't. So, uh, number one, number one, the first kind of inappropriate shame is when when we feel shame because someone has sinned against us. When we feel shame because someone has sinned against us. Um, this, we see this quite a bit in the Bible. One of the saddest stories um, of this is 2 Samuel 13, the story of Amnon and Tamar. Um, Amnon and Tamar were half-siblings. Amnon was Tamar's half-brother. 
um, and he, he lusted after her and he wanted to sleep with her. And so he pretends to be sick and he gets her to come in and kind of take care of him as he is sick and he gets her to come and to um, feed him. And, um, and, and verse 11 of 2 Samuel 13 says, but when she brought um, food near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. And then she says, as for me, where could I carry my shame? Mm, but, but you go down in the story, he, he would not listen to her. Down in verse 14, he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. So he kicks her out. He kicks her out. He even, he even calls this, his servants and says, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her as if she was the one, as if, as if she was the aggressive one, as she was the aggressor, as if she wasn't the victim. He bolts the door as if in order to keep her out. Um, and she was wearing a long robe with sleeves. Um, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king's of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her, and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Tamar now had to live with this deep sense of shame, and she had done nothing wrong. It seems like um, Amnon may have had some sense of his shame here, maybe, but de Tamar definitely feels ashamed. She is now experiencing great shame, and she's the victim. But what we have to understand is this happens all the time, especially among those who have been sexually assaulted. Um, Ed Welch says, he has this really helpful book, Shame Interrupted, and he says, any sexual violation brings shame to the victim. When, when, sh when sex happens outside its intended boundaries, it brings shame on the victim. It should bring shame on the perpetrator. He goes to say, well, once we are shamed, most of us try to make sense of it by believing we are getting what we deserve. He says, you can find this in the souls of most sexually victimized women. They are of two minds. On the one hand, they know they were victims of ungodly perpetrators, but right next to that conviction is an equally strong sense that they somehow deserved what they received. Even worse, they might think that God himself decreed the injustice as a form of punishment. In short, someone has treated them as if they are less than human, so they feel as if they are less than human. They feel shame because someone has sinned against them. Here's another way that shame shows up in the Bible, this, this shame that people feel because people have sinned against them. Second Samuel 10 gives the story of, of David's servants, um, David's 
uh, David was, um, he was, he had a good relationship with the king of the Ammonites. Um, and when the king of the Ammonites died, um, Nahash, when, when, when Nahash died, his son Hanan become, became king. And so David sent some servants to Hanan to comfort him in his father's death and to, to be kind to Hanan because, because Hanan's father had been kind to David. They had been loyal to each other. Um, they had been on good terms. And so David just wants to keep this going, right? He just wants to, to, to kind of keep this peacefulness going. Um, and so he sends his servants, uh, but his servants are mistreated. The princes of the Ammonites said to Hanan, their lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? And so, so Hanan's advisors tell, tell him that, that, that David has not, has not sent these men to comfort him. Instead, he's sent them in false pretenses to search the city and to spy it out. So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. These men had done nothing wrong. They were simply following King David's directives, and his directives were honorable. But they were treated shamefully. They were abused, so they felt ashamed. They felt as if they were worthless. King Hanan treated them in a way that, that showed he wanted them to feel shame, and he succeeded. What we have to understand is this is what often happens when we are physically or even verbally abused. Here, here again is Ed Welch. He says, he says, verbally battered men and women are filled with shame. They have, they have been told that they are wretched, and once they get worn down, they believe it. Then they feel compelled to endure the abuse in silence because it is shameful to reveal that someone who is supposed to love them now berates them. Women who have been treated like objects experience humiliation and shame. Did you grow up with an angry, unpredictable parent who exploded, apologized, and exploded again? When this parent was angry, he or she spoke piercing and demeaning words, and those words outweighed any apology. When you live around irrational anger, you will eventually blame yourself. Any rejection, neglect, or demeaning words by someone who is supposed to love you, such as a parent or a spouse, brings shame. Abuse brings shame, is what Welch is saying. We, we feel as if we are less than human because we've been treated as, less, as we are less than human. This is, that's a little thing I just say to myself often when I'm, when I'm talking with someone and it's just obvious that the voice of shame is so strong in their life. And I, and I just want to say, but, you, you, but, but, but you're not at fault here. But it, that doesn't matter. Because they have been treated as if they are less than human. And so now they see themselves as less than human. And, and here's the thing. I mentioned this last week, I think, and we have to mention it again because we have to keep this straight in our minds when we're, when we're thinking through our own shame and when we're thinking um, and, 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 trying to, and trying to help and comfort and encourage 
people who are struggling with shame themselves, what we have to keep in mind is that appropriate shame, shame we should feel, and inappropriate shame feels the same to us. We feel naked and exposed and humiliated. We feel like we are worthless and nothings, like we are outcasts and outsiders. We feel that, that, that we are just bad. We are dirty. We are unclean. We are bad. We feel that. And, and we feel that for appropriate reasons, and we feel it for inappropriate reasons, but it all feels the same. We have to, we, we, and we, we have to kind of keep that in our mind. We have, to, we have to embrace the truth that shame is complicated. So that's the first way we experience misplaced shame or inappropriate shame. We, we feel shame because others have sinned against us. Now, here's the second way. Here's the second way. The second big category in the Word of God and, and that we see played out in our just our regular everyday lives as well. Um, the second way we feel shame when we shouldn't um, is because of a faulty social standard. Because of a faulty social standard. So, in the Bible, um, shame is spoken of as subjective and objective. Hang with me here and just think through this, um, and, and, and you'll see lots of examples of it. I mean, you'll think of lots of examples in the Bible, and you'll also think of lots of examples in your own life as well. Um, so, there's subjective shame and there's objective shame. All right, so which means there's there's external shame and there's internal shame. So, so there's shame that we feel, right? We feel this deep sense of shame, but then there's also times when, when people try to shame other people or they, or they try to shame us, right? So the Bible talks about it like, um, uh, like, in, like in Proverbs 19.26, he who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. And so what that means is that son earns himself a shameful reputation. Now, we don't know if that son feels ashamed. He should, but we don't know if he does. Because, because what we know from just how life works is that there are times when people try to shame us and it doesn't work. We don't, we don't feel ashamed. There are certain groups out there in the world that if they try to shame me for my position on different, um, my, my position on different issues, like if, if they try to shame me for being pro-life, I probably won't feel ashamed, right? Because I, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of that position and, and, and I'm not worried about their... Um, their opinion of me. So there are times when people try to shame us for something and it doesn't work because we don't feel the shame. So they objectively shame us, but we don't feel that subjective shame. So we have to understand that, that, that it works both ways in the Bible. We saw that like with, with, um, um, with the story of Mary and Joseph. In Matthew 1, um, when, when Mary um, tells Joseph that she's pregnant and then she says it's the work of the Holy Spirit, I mean, Joseph's just like, I, I mean, I don't know about that. That seems, I, I don't know about that. That seems a bit, that's too much for me to, to, to believe, right? 
And so he's, he just, he doesn't know what's going on, but, but he's, he, you know, it's, it's really hard. His, his fiance has come to him and said, um, and because they're, they're not, they haven't consummated their marriage yet. They're not husband and wife in that way yet. And so they are still in the like betrothal period. And so they haven't slept together. And so here's Mary and she says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's just like, I don't know. But in 119, he says, he was a just man and he was unwilling to put her to shame. So he resolved to divorce her quietly. He didn't want to put her to shame. He didn't want to tarnish her reputation. He didn't want to give her a shameful reputation among the community. Now, we don't know that if he would have done that, if she would have felt shame, we assume she probably would have. She probably would have felt the shame. But, but he didn't want her to feel shame, and he didn't want her to have this objective, shameful reputation either. So he was going to divorce her quietly. Now, we do know, of course, that he doesn't do that, and they um, do get married and, and, and all of that. We, we understand that. But, but we also understand that shame works in those two kinds of ways, right? So, so sometimes we feel internal shame because of our negative reputation. Sometimes we don't. And what we also have to understand is that oftentimes when people are shaming us, when people give us a negative reputation, when, when people treat us like we're an outsider and they want us to be, they, they, they want us to know that we are not in, that we are, on, we, we are, we are not meeting their standards. What we, what we have to understand is that oftentimes people are using a faulty, sinful standard to evaluate whether we should, we should be ashamed of ourselves or not, whether they're, going to, whether they're going to try to shame us or not. So the world is often using very faulty standards. Now, um, we, we, uh, one of my just one of the most powerful examples of this is the is the story of Kelly Osborne. She's the daughter of Ozzy Osborne, and and that's just like a hard rock family, right? And and um, and uh, they were they had a reality TV show for a while, and so Kelly Osborne. I don't know if she still is, but she was. She was a, a celebrity. She's pretty well known, and, and she is to a certain degree. I'm sure still now. I'm not. I don't really follow that family, but um, but there is this time where where um, she sort of disappeared from public life for a while, and then when she reemerged into public life, she had lost a ton of weight, um, and everybody was sort of raving about her appearance. And she said, "Yeah, people." Um, you, you, she, she's, and you could tell that she had felt ashamed of her appearance. You, you knew that she had been shamed of or shamed for it because she said people gave me way more. And I'm going to use the word grief, but she, she says, she says people gave me way more grief about being fat than they did uh, um, about me being, in her words, a raging drug addict. And so here we have this like very faulty standard on display. I mean, people didn't care that, in her words, she was a raging drug addict, but they gave her all kinds of grief for her weight. I mean, so this is sort of the world we live in. There are faulty standards all over the place. But the problem is, sometimes they work. So sometimes 
We get this sense from people that we do not measure up, that we do not fit in, that we don't belong with them. We, we, we get this sense that we are less than they are. And sometimes they come out and say it, and sometimes it's just like this, this way that they talk in general, and there's just this way that, that, that and, and it sinks into us. And we feel as if we are just outsiders and nobodies, and, and we feel that because of this faulty, sinful standard. And the, and the way the Bible talks about it in, in the most like sort of devastating way is when we get shamed into abandoning the gospel. When we get shamed into um, abandoning the, the word of God, turning our back on Christ, turning our back on scripture. Mark 8 says, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Um, first Peter says, says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For that, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. They try to shame you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter says down in, in verse 16, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Paul says in 2 Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Acts 5 says they, when they, they, they stood before the council, the believers did, and, they, and then... As they left, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor or shame for the name of Jesus. The warning in these passages is that the warning in this in these passages is that there will be times when when people shame us for following Jesus. They will they will try they will try to make us feel ashamed. They will treat us shamefully, hoping that we will, we will feel ashamed within ourselves. They will, they, will, they will heap objective shame upon us, hoping that we feel subjective shame. And the warning of Scripture is that sometimes it works. Some, sometimes we... We feel that shame, and I think probably all of us know people who have been shamed into abandoning church, into abandoning the Word of God, into abandoning Jesus. I just want to, to, to say, I just want to say that, that all of this, the, the, the shame we feel for for following Jesus, it often feels like the shame that we feel because of sin in our past. 
or because of the way people have sinned against us. I, I, I just want to point out again, it's complicated. We're a bit of a mess. You and I are a bit of a mess when it comes to what's happening inside of our hearts and minds. And, and, I, and I know I'm going a little bit long here. I just want to say a couple more things because I, what I want to do is, is um, complicate it just a little bit more. Or maybe I'm not complicating it. Hopefully I'm just pointing out that it is complicated. But there's a couple other things we have to understand. That, that a couple more, couple of more ingredients that get thrown into this. Um, that that make it quite a thing if we're going to untangle it well. One is the doctrine of original sin. Whether we are consciously aware of it or not, Adam's sin has spread to us in very, very real ways. His sinful nature has spread to us. Romans 5 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam's sin is our sin. We don't talk about this much, but Scripture is clear on it. There is a way in which Adam's sin is our sin. So we are, so this is why David says in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was, I was born in sin. I was born with a sinful nature. I was, I was born sinful. One of the scholarly articles I used when I was prepping this, these lessons says, the, the evangelical tradition has recognized that all human beings have inherited a corrupt nature and stand under condemnation through their association with Adam, even apart from any wrongs they have done. So, so the doctrine of original sin complicates everything that's, that's going on inside of us. We, we have a sense that we stand guilty before God simply by being human. And then the second complicating factor goes hand in hand with the first. The second complicating factor is, is the doctrine of total depravity. So, it, it, I mean, it's, it's tied right up with the doctrine of original sin. Romans 3 says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. We have all turned aside, we have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So the fact of the matter is, we, we not only are we unclean before God because of connections to Adam, we are also unclean before God because of our own sinfulness, because of our own active, willful sin. So even the best things we do are tainted with sin. So, so we end up being ashamed for things we shouldn't be ashamed about, and then we, we're, we're, we're not ashamed when we should be. People shame us when they shouldn't. We believe it when we shouldn't. And then shame that would be good for us, that should move us to repentance and obedience, doesn't work the way it should. And this is all because we're sinners. So, so I just want to kind of like talk about this in a sort of a case study kind of way. For instance, if you're talking with a Christian friend who struggles with same-sex attraction, the, the shame that they feel, if it's a Christian friend who has same-sex attraction, it's, a, it's kind of like a, a Christian friend who, who feels this strong urge towards alcoholism and to drunkenness. It is just a daily fight for them. Or this strong daily urge towards pornography. But I, but I think where I've seen it just the clearest and the most um, 
just the most powerful ways is with with Christians who who fight against the the against same sex attraction, and so chances are if they if they if they suffer from same-sex attraction, they, they feel ashamed because of that, right? Just because of their same-sex attraction. They also feel ashamed because of the way their friends talk about gay people. They, they, they feel ashamed because they have other friends who think it's ridiculous to not simply act on their attraction. So, so they have voices in their head telling them they're awful because of their temptations, and they have voices in their head telling them they're awful for not acting on their temptations. And so they feel like they are just outsiders when it comes to the church, and they feel like they are outsiders um, when, it, when it comes to people who they just kind of work with, who, who, who don't go to church. They, they feel rotten before God. They feel rotten before Christians. They feel rotten before non-Christians. It's complicated. They, they, shame is complicated. So, so when we're trying to listen to and comfort and encourage and exhort and stir up to good works, right? If we're trying to be a blessing to, to people who are struggling under a deep sense of shame, we, we have to be aware of these realities. One last little thing before I close out here. I, uh, there's a kind of a recent example, and I'm going to keep it very generic. Um, but I, but it just reminds me. It's, it's not. It wouldn't be kind of me. So I, I mean, just people in my office, um, just recently, and they tell me their story. It would not be kind of me when I, when I hear about how they've been severely mistreated by someone who they should have been able to trust, and so, and so they feel all kinds of shame for that. It wouldn't be kind of me to only ever talk about the shame that they feel because they've been mistreated. I absolutely need to talk about that. And in fact, most of the time, that's probably most of what we're talking about. If I'm talking to a Christian who is just, I mean, they just feel this piercing sense of shame. They, 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 they hear this, they, I mean, they hear this voice of shame in their head all the time. Then we need to start with, the shame they feel because they've been mistreated. And, and maybe that's the only thing we talk about for quite a few meetings. But what we also have to understand is that that Christian probably also is definitely going to be feeling shame because of their own sinful responses. Because of their own sinfulness. So there's going to be in there somewhere appropriate shame with the inappropriate shame because because total depravity is a thing. Because we are sinful. And yes, most likely, a lot of the sins that they feel ashamed about, are pro- they probably would never had the opportunity to do or the inclination to do, except they've been sinned against in horrific ways. And that is just true. But we also have to understand that, 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 that our guilt is also tied very directly to our shame. And so there is, there is going to be ways where they should just not feel ashamed whatsoever. They, 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 they feel inappropriate shame, and they shouldn't. They, I mean, that's just untrue. That's deceitful shame. But then there's other, there's other ways that are, that are deep in there, that are entang- entangled with everything, where there, there, there could very well be appropriate shame in there as well. It is a 
It is a complicated thing. And I just want to say, it would not be kind of me. It would not, it, it might feel kind. It might feel nice. It might feel like the loving thing to do to only talk about the ways that, that someone has been uh, mistreated. But if I do that, and if, and if in our conversations, it may take time, but if in our conversations we never get to the place where we talk about um, appropriate shame, then they're going to leave my office still feeling shame. They're still going to feel the shame. If they don't, if they don't deal with the appropriate shame alongside the inappropriate shame, they're, they're, they're going to... They're going to leave my office, leave our conversations, um, still feeling ashamed. This is not kindness. This is not kindness. This is not kindness to yourself. This is not kindness to to others. If if we if we won't do the hard work of 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 recognizing that shame is complicated and and um and trying to as much as possible talk as honestly as we can about it um, that's that's not being kind to ourselves and it's not being kind to others now we recognize of course that that hopefully after all of this we recognize shame is complicated but what what we also have to understand is that um the the gospel is easily big enough and strong enough to to decimate our shame and to over time it will wear our shame down and it will bring us out into the light that the gospel has the power to do this and we have to we have to believe that together. So that's where we're going to go next week. We're going to start we're going to start talking about that next week. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Until then, thank you very much for listening.